just a follow-up, really, on the big foundations that started up and have funded heavily the whole eugenics movement uh, from the very beginning. And these foundations and institutions, as I've said many times over, are guiding the world along a set path, or I should say a, a path which they have set. And it isn't just pushing academia along a certain path. They're also funding all of the media and the educational systems and even your entertainment to insert ideas into your mind which don't belong to you. And those ideas become your opinions and we allow their agenda to continue. Be back with more after the following messages. through the matrix and following up on last week's talks and the previous few shows about eugenics and the foundations behind them. They're all interlinked, you'll find, if you go into this particular area, and you'll find these big institutions, this, this gang or clique or club of interbred degenerates are running the world and creating policies they, they are heavily involved in the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, and all the big organizations that, that guide the world along a pre-planned path. And it's a very good article in counterpunch.org, May the 8th, by Sharon Smith on the Rockefellers. And partly down this article, it goes into the eugenic side of it in a little detail. And it says here, no Rockefeller family history would be complete without highlighting their central role in shaping 20th century population control policy aimed explicitly at curbing birth rates among the non-Caucasian poor. Beginning in the 1910s, the Rockefeller money flowed into organizations such as the Race Betterment Foundation and the eugenics section of the American Breeders Association, which spearheaded the eugenics movement, the science, supposedly, of improving heredity. These organizations, also funded by the upstanding Carnegie, Harriman, and Kellogg families, sponsored academics, claiming that those at the top of the social ladder had proven their racial superiority, while those at the bottom were biologically incapable of success. Now, I've mentioned before, they believe you have a poverty gene, and no, no amount of social improvement will alter your circumstances. Even though they could train one generation, they claim the offspring would start at the bottom again and need retrained all over. The eugenics movement encouraged the superior races to marry each other and have lots of children while promoting forced sterilization, racial segregation, and deportation of immigrants of those deemed unfit to reproduce. The superior races so admired by the eugenics movement were Nordic, with blonde hair and blue eyes, and the movement soon gained an admirer in Adolf Hitler. In 1924, as Mein Kampf, Hitler noted, there is today one state in which at least weak beginnings toward a better conception of immigration are noticeable. Of course, it is not our model state, German Republic, but the United States. By the 1920s, the Rockefeller Foundation was already providing hundreds of thousands of dollars to fund eugenics research in Germany. In 1929 alone, 
$317,000 of Rockefeller money went to the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for Brain Research, according to Edwin Black, writing in the San Francisco Chronicle in 2003. Although the Rockefellers had withdrawn all funding to German research by the onset of the Second World War in 1939, Black argued by that time the die had been cast. The talented men Rockefeller and Carnegie financed the great institutions they helped found and the science they helped create took on scientific momentum of their own. It didn't stop there, though, because they set up, the big foundations set up, along with the big bankers, often they're one and the same, in fact, like the Rockefellers, uh, they set up the, the big umbrella organizations that gave the Germans their war machine, like I.G. Farben. He was on to say here, by the 1930s, the wheels for forced sterilization were also in motion inside the U.S. Laws were enacted in 27 states in 1932, calling for compulsory sterilization of the feeble-minded, insane, criminal and physically defective physically defective remember that one in 1939 the birth control federation of america as historian dorothy e roberts described planned a negro project designed to limit reproduction by blacks who still breed carelessly and disastrously with the result that the increase among negroes even more than among whites is from that portion of the population least intelligent and fit and least able to rear children properly. Now, that's from this foundation. That's their words. In 1974, an Alabama court found that between 100,000 and 150,000 poor black teenagers had been sterilized in that state alone. After World War II, population control agencies set their sights overseas. In the 1960s, the International Planned Parenthood Foundation. Now, Margaret Sanger... It was also involved in that. She was pro-Nazi and pro-communist at one point. And she helped spearhead it along with these, these particular institutions. And it sounds quite nice, planned parenthood, like planning, and parents are good. You see, these are the fuzzy nice words, proactive words as they call it. So rather than call it what it was, it was abortion, and it was actually forced sterilization. They called it Planned Parenthood Foundation. And they heavily funded it by the Rockefellers alongside the U.S. government. And it played a key role in a coercive sterilization program targeting third world populations. By 1968, one third of women of childbearing age in Puerto Rico, still a U.S. colony, had been permanently sterilized, often without their knowledge or consent. Rockefeller-funded programs sterilized 40,000 women in Colombia between 1963 and 1965, according to feminist author Bonnie Mass. These are just two examples among many. The self-righteous claims of the current generation of Rockefellers must be viewed in this context. They've kept silent since the 1989 Exxon Valdez Alaskan oil spill, even as Exxon Mobil has refused to pay court-ordered compensation to the nearly 33,000 Alaskans who won a lawsuit against Exxon in 1994 for the company's reckless behavior. Now, these are all subsidiaries of the Rockefellers when they disbanded uh, Standard Oil. They were forced under the Racketeering Act and various other laws to, to break up their major Standard Oil Corporation, which they did into a few just as well-known ones today. Nor have they uttered a word of protest following news 
that growing numbers of employed workers across the U.S. are lining up at food pantries due to the skyrocketing price of food and gasoline. As Bill Bowling, founder of the Atlanta Community Food Bank, told CNN, people are giving up buying groceries so they can pay rent and put gas in the car. Today's Rockefellers praise ExxonMobil for its current status as the most profitable corporation in U.S. history, having raked in a record $40.6 billion in profits in 2007. They're merely watching out for their own parasitical futures. So that's a very good article, one amongst many on this particular family. And it's incredible how many fingers they have in so many pies uh, that we take for granted, things which are essential to the present society in which we live, including the funding to just about every university in the Americas and many abroad as well. But along with the funding and these grants that they hand out, uh, come certain stipulations as to what you should discuss and what you should possibly ignore. That's how it's done. And they have think tanks working for them. They have uh, they've got fingers in medical research. They pretty well own a good part of the cancer, the cancer treatment industry. And uh, it's phenomenal how the rubber barns, and that's how they started the first Rockefeller was a robber baron who got in with the other robber barons on the railway companies and made incredible land deals, deals in which he grabbed up the, uh, the land that was soaked in oil and made his fortune. He also limited competition by various shady means. And after a great publicity campaign, when they hired professional makeover people to give them good images, they became wonderful philanthropists and you'll find the same story is probably behind most of these great big philanthropists of today now you can go into so many sites now <clears throat> and read about uh, characters like the Rockefellers and even Carnegie Institution as well because they were all involved in the same particular agenda now Scandals are happening all the time. I've grown up for many years watching the scandals in different countries come and go. And one of the most common ones is when someone in a high level as a madam in capital cities dealing with top politicians that comes out into the limelight. If I was a toddler toddling around, it was Christine Keeler who came out in Britain uh, who happened to have slept around with all the top people in the military, industrial complex in Britain, many of them British lords, and she'd also been uh, bedding with some of the Soviet counterparts and passing information back and forth. This woman literally, if she had a bit more smarts, could have made, made a, a fortune uh, blackmailing all of them. And, of course, the same thing has happened recently in the United States, with a very similar type thing happening. But these things come and go throughout your whole life. The world in which we live is full of distractions and scandals that only reinforce that which you already know. The system is utterly corrupt. Utterly corrupt. And none of it makes any difference because the system goes on unabated with the same corruption occurring and reoccurring down through your lifetime. 
why should it change? We find in the system we have no complaints department. How can you claim or, or, or put in any objection to morality in a system that really has no morality of any kind? When you're socialized into a system, and this is part of the culture creation industry, they call it socialization. That means you've adapted uh, all of your indoctrinations and you believe in them and even though you'll never live up to them, you put them into practice. You can also over-socialize people as well. The over-socialized ones go left-wing and criticize the rest for not being democratic enough. We'll be back with more of this particular topic after this break. Hi, this is Alan Watt cutting through the matrix and touching on the scandals and all the things that happen during your lifetime that come in, become all the news and the rage for a few days or a few weeks, then die away and are lost in the dim past of history. And then new ones come up and they really don't make any difference because these are sidelines to the agenda. They're almost distractions to the agenda. But people get caught up in them nonetheless, especially when there's sex involved. That's human nature. As the media knows only too well, it sells very well. But talking about culture itself and what's moral, what isn't moral, it's whatever is moral in your lifetime is whatever has been approved at the top. And that goes for your whole culture. That becomes your culture, even though it could be opposite, completely opposing values of what you had in a previous generation. As Plato said, the ones who go through the change are the last to actually notice. And it's a sad statement that was noticed 2,300 years ago that still holds well today. Most people don't become conscious in their lifetime. They think they are because they know the recent topics and they know what Paris Hilton is doing and, and all this kind of stuff. They think that's what consciousness means. They're, they keep up on the media stuff that's fed to them and intrigues people on a very low level. And that's all they think about. They don't think beyond that. They don't really see beyond that. And if something is not mentioned on the media, uh, even if something happens right in front of them, they won't see it till they'll switch off. Because if there's anything important to learn or see, the media will tell them. And the media doesn't tell them, they don't see it. It's like the spraying in the sky as they go on incessantly. They literally don't see it. They go blank. And I've lost count of the people who give me that blank stare, that robotic stare, as they click into that click mode back and forth. They want to get away from you, but they won't even look up. They can't imagine looking. They, in fact, these people have never looked up in the sky in their lifetime, probably, unless it's a hot air balloon race or something. But it's never dawned on them just to look at the sky and see what's there. There's no curiosity in them. The culture, as I say, is given at the top and promoted to those at the bottom and when it takes just like an inoculation it takes on you it takes well they call it socialization you've been socialized but you can also be over socialized some people with obsessional natures take all the in mantras that they're given from the top such as environmentalism and greening and all this stuff and global warming uh, uh, your carbon footprint they, they learn the whole vernacular and then they part all the time and they become the left wing that then pushes 
on the rest of society and claims that they're not going along with the agenda properly. So that the left wing's job is to push that which those at the top already want pushed into action against those who are more conservative or can't be bothered or they tend to ignore uh, all their indoctrination. So the, both of them work in tandem together. It's the way it's always been and it's used as a science against the people. You'll find this in all ages too. Now I don't know if there's any callers there. I've got two on my board here. But I think we're here from the last show. Is, is it Carl from Pennsylvania? No. And there's Randall for Austin. So I'm going to talk away here about another article to do with surveillance and how we're being surveilled all the time in the society from cradle to grave. And our tax money is building the biggest prison ever built, the most sophisticated prison ever built on the planet and this is from the washingtonpost.com DC forging surveillance network privacy a concern as first phase links 4,500 cameras to central office 4,500 cameras by Mary Beth Sheridan this was Thursday May the 1st 2008 the D.C. government is launching a system today that would tie together thousands of city-owned video cameras. But authorities don't yet have the money to complete the high-tech network or privacy rules in place to guide it. The system will feature round-the-clock monitoring of the closed-circuit video systems run by nine city agencies. Now, this is how they did it in Britain, too. Local agencies, local councils funded it all through your tax money and they appeared to be separate, non-threatening, and then they merged them all into one big agency. And this was also shown in um, a few movies that were put out even 10 years ago about this particular agenda coming up. Now it's here in reality, and it's not because the writers in Hollywood have great imaginations, it's because they belong to the futurist society where they're brought in and told what's coming down the road to write nice stories about it. Enemy of the State is a good movie to see on that particular part of it. It says in the first phase, 4,500 cameras trained on schools in the first phase, right? Public housing, traffic, and government buildings will feed into a central office at the D.C. Homeland Security and Emergency Management Agency. Hundreds more will be added this year. By making all those images available under one roof, officials hope to increase efficiency and improve public safety and emergency response. But civil libertarians and D.C. council members say that the network is being rushed into place without sufficient safeguards to protect privacy. Well, that's probably a sham because we have no privacy in this day and age. Everything we're given, including the Internet, is to get all your data out there. It saves them coming to your home and demanding it. People put up all their information quite happily and join all these little uh, groups and... They're quite happy to tell you how many times they have sex per night or per week or whatever. There's no, they don't really care about privacy too much these days. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
high focus Alan Watt back cutting through the matrix and I'll leave it to the rest of you to go through that article I was reading about the cameras it's just incredible how they're all linking them all together all together under Homeland Security even the what you thought were private store ones are all getting linked together they already had that built in capacity when they sold them to the store owners now we've got callers on the line there's Danny from Germany are you there Danny? Yeah. yes go ahead can you hear me all right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, you're, you're talking about um, the Rockefellers, and, uh, uh, well, I'm not sure if you mentioned uh, the eugenics, their eugenics programs, uh, uh, well, particularly here, here in Germany, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know that. Well, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's just the, the way that this period, the Nazi period, you know, was, is often presented, you know, in mainstream history. It's, it's presented often as some kind of, you know, scheme that, you know, didn't really succeed, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in so many ways, like it has, like if you look at today's society, and uh, I ask myself, well, you know, uh, were the planners in those days, you know, were they thinking about, you know, the, the 21st century, you know? And uh, uh, because, like, it really does seem, you know, that a lot of what, you know, they planned and all that, you know, really has come, uh, you know, uh, yes, uh, has, has, has come to fruition, you know. Uh, like one example, for example, if you look in the uh, the English dictionary, the English Collins dictionary, you'll find, for example, uh, a German word the, um, called Gleichschaltung. Uh, you know, it's a German word, and uh, the meaning here then it says, well, the enforcement of standardization and the elimination of all opposition within the political, economic, and cultural institutions of of a state, you know? mm-hmm. and that's presented as some kind of you know scheme that the, that the Nazis had at that time you know? but uh, you know in reality when you look at today's society well you know in more ways than one I mean they they have succeeded haven't they they have they've had in fact this bill has been passed in the US to do with taking the DNA from every newborn baby by law although they've been doing it for 30 years now doing it legally since they passed the laws they make it legal and they've already admitted that they've tested uh, 40, 50,000 use this DNA and the blood from these babies for experimental tests. Uh, it's nothing to do with helping uh, cure diseases. It's to, it's to find out which ones are more prone to certain illnesses, etc. And you'll be labeled on a chart, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, etc., according to your fitness level, IQ, uh, family history, uh, stability, all of that kind of stuff, and proneness to certain illnesses. So this is well underway, and, and this is all part of it today. Yeah, relevant to that as well, of course, is, uh, you know, that's the interesting book that you probably know of already by uh, Edwin Black, you know, the uh, connection between the IBM and the, and the Holocaust. You know? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. All, all these big agencies and institutions uh, are really a cartel, and... Um, you think they're unrelated, but they're all part of one big club. They didn't come out on their own, and even the robber barons didn't come out on their own to start up, the, uh, to, to gain and garnish the wealth of nations and to make people dependent on them, whole nations dependent on them since they own resources. They were given authority to do this. And you, you'll find all of this goes back to, as I say, the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations, they put out the front men, they open the doors for them, they allow them to have their way and uh, do the little reign of terror as they grab up the resources and become very rich and famous. And then they open themselves up for business as new philanthropists who guide society. 
So that's absolutely true. It's well underway. And even, uh, as I say, Hitler did not come up with the idea, and I didn't die with him either. It was, it was born in London. It was born in England with Galton, uh, Charles Galton, and, uh, of course, the Darwin family as well. And it was championed by Davenport in the U.S., who started up that particular Coal Creek Harbor um, eugenics uh, clinic uh, near Brooklyn. And uh, it's never stopped. And we see the same thing with uh, the laboratories that, that, that deal with the medical industry, especially in the United States, uh, were started up and funded and held by the Rockefellers for many years. And one of, the, one of them actually um, it became the, the Cancer Institute, which was part of a, a war development plan for creating diseases abroad. They turned it into a medical beneficial system, supposedly, and it's called the Cancer Institute. It's the same families linked to the same things all down through history, and they mean business. And unfortunately, they're getting their way. They have massive lobbying power, and they have many organizations, hundreds of non-governmental organizations, well-funded, with lots of staff, the best equipment, with pension plans and the whole thing. And they, they constantly uh, guide society along this particular path to eugenics. And they say that the, the inferior types cannot come into a new era without bringing down uh, the, the, the superiors above them. So the inferiors must be eradicated, they say. And they mean business. They really do mean business. People should really take this very, very seriously. Isn't it terrible? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, actually, uh, uh, one of the things that kind of prompted me, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, to, to, uh, to think about this, actually, I uh, was uh, after reading the, uh, the book that uh, that you recommended yourself, there, um, uh, Charles Galton Darwin's um, uh, "The Next Million Years," uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, if um, if I hadn't read the book uh, upon your recommendation, uh, to tell you the truth, I would have uh, read maybe the first two chapters and just thrown it away because uh, I do recognize, um, you know, pure, uh, you know, proto-fascism dressed up in academic garb, you know? yep. uh, but um, like I said, uh, you know, because of your recommendation, I continue to read it to, to, to the end, you know? yep. and uh, I have to say, the thing that saddens me the most, you know, uh, when, you know, when I read books like that, that it's very difficult, like, to convey to people, you know, what, uh, you know, the different levels, you know, uh, uh, the, you know, ulterior motives of the, of the authors there, you see, because uh, I think what, you know, I think that, that I've been, uh, that I often recognize, you know, in, you know, the, the general populace, not just in Germany, of course, you know, is that uh, they've often, uh, they've internalized what I'd refer to, what I'd term as, as, uh, you know, fascist elements, you know, where they, uh, they're, they're conditioning, you could say, you know, often forces them or compels them, you know, to pretty well, you know, agree sometimes in some ways, you know, with, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, you know, the, the, the messages, you know, that, that people like uh, Charles Galton Darwin has been, you say, yeah? and uh, because of that, you see, you know, um, uh, you know, the, the, the real uh, insidiousness, you know, really of, uh, of, of, of these uh, authors, you know, can be kind of, you know, disguised, you could say, you know. It is, and, and lots of ordinary uh, people. And, you know, and, and rendered harmless in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah, lots of ordinary people, too, take the, these kind of um, little talks on, on television, etc., to do with overpopulation 
and then they'll hear a bit of Galt and Darwin, a little selection of them, and they'll agree with them. And this yeah. is ordinary people because they're getting brainwashed into yeah, going terrible. along with this agenda. It's terrible, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's terrible. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that saddens me the most about those kind of things. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. oh yeah. Well, yeah, well, I'm sure you want to go on to other callers. And, uh, thanks a million for taking my call. Yeah. And thanks for calling. Right. Bye. Bye now. Now I've got Ron from Michigan. Are you there, Ron? Oh, hi, Alan. How are you? A couple of questions for you. How are you doing tonight? Not so bad. Yeah. How, how long did your wood supply last this year? The wood? Yes. Uh, I'm still burning wood at night. Oh, you were worried about getting enough in last fall. And that's that's right, and I'm still burning it because it's cool, very cool at night. Oh, it is. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, one thing I've wondered about is, uh, well, looking back in history, is there a time or an instance where their agenda didn't come true the way, if it was there any uh, uh, breaks in their uh, their, their uh, arrangement of history uh and one, to put one instance I'd like to question you about would be the Irish Revolution in 1916. Was that planned, or did, was that spontaneous? Um, they knew it was coming. They did have a, a faction set up to try and guide it along a different path. Mm-hmm, of course uh, they do. However, it didn't turn out exactly as, they, as they'd wished. I mean, you've got to understand that Ireland had been uh, hammered from the 1500s of Queen Elizabeth I onwards. Oh, yes. And they did not want uh, uh, a, a Catholic uh, um, uh, sort of people living near them, even even in England. I mean, there's lots of wars in England itself over that very same thing. And after uh, Henry VIII uh, declared that he was basically the new Pope of England, and they'd have a, an English-type Catholicism, they call it Anglican, but they did not want uh, the, the, the Romish involvement being so close to them, but they also have used Ireland as a breadbasket for Britain uh, down through the ages to feed the armies and the wars that were going on all the time, and even with the Irish famine, uh, we hear about the potato famine, but it wasn't so much that. They'd never exported so much grain and vegetables abroad to Britain, and Britain was having wars all over the place at that time, Mm -hmm. and they took uh, all of this food from the Irish and they had dragoons and guards and, and all these different battalions of redcoats in there, right all the way to the ships uh, to stop the Irish from raiding the food stocks and getting some of it back for themselves. Yes, so I they were starving the, the Ireland at the, uh, for the expense of, of feeding the, the troops at war, uh, having these conquests at wars for England. And that's a real story that was going on at the time. Yeah, they took half their food supply, you know. Yeah. And the, the ban was just what pushed him over the edge. You know. And Jonathan Swift, that was uh, of Gulliver's travel fame, who was also a politician, uh, wrote different um, articles on depopulating the Irish. He also thought they were inferior. And, uh, and it's interesting that later on, Galton, Charles Galton, and H.G. Uh, Wells and others, who all belonged to the Eugenic Societies, put down Scots, Irish, Italians, and a few other different peoples for extermination. Yes, they did. So there's no doubt about that. This is an ongoing agenda here. Yeah. But so you, it's your thoughts that the revolution was uh, didn't go the way they wanted it to, and, and it was all. I, I really think that they hoped that they could create this. That, that what they wanted at the time, and they wrote about it, and 
some of this, this is mentioned in the books uh, published by the Council on Foreign Relations because they were involved in this. They had their own men in Southern Ireland, and they hoped to set up this world federation based on the British ideal of, of the British-type democracy, which means you don't have any democracy at all. Mm-hmm. But um, they, they did try to, to set their own party up there and take it over. It didn't quite uh, come off the way that they'd hoped. And, um, I mean, I had, I, had, uh, I had relatives that fought in Ireland uh, on both sides. And um, it, it was quite, quite the, the battles they went through. Yes, I was. I was something they've swept under under history. You know, it's it's kind of a, you hard to find anything to read about it. You know, the Irish Revolution. That was the oh, oh they, well, I'll tell you why. Because because they put it down with an iron fist and, and just lined up people and shot them in the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, see, that's a real that's a real British martial law. They don't mess around. They'd already had plenty of practice on their own peoples in England when they had the the, the cotton riots. So they, they were putting the cotton. Uh, industries out of business by importing from India all, all the cloths and linen cloths and uh, there were massive riots because uh, they, they were putting the guys out overnight, whole industries and the dragoons and, and the guards were set upon the peoples and gunned them all down in the streets uh, this is the real history of Britain you never hear about it never hear you about never it. hear about no. and that's why the founding fathers in America uh, realized that you should not have standing armies. They knew that if they had a standing army, that it would be turned on the American people one day. And unfortunately, that is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Well, thank you for your thoughts on that. So it's what I thought, that it wasn't something that they'd planned. So uh, I've studied their tactics a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and thank you very much. Thanks for calling. Yeah, bye. Now we've got Mo from Oregon here. Are you there, Mo? Uh, hi, Mr. Allen. How are you, sir? Not so bad. How are you doing? All right. You know, uh, with over 1,300 earthquakes off coast of Oregon uh, since last month, and between 5 to 5.8 earthquake uh, activity range. And uh, uh, now, uh, I mean, months of May usually is the highest one of the months that we are going to get an earthquake over eight or nine uh, range. So I do uh, believe and uh, maybe I can predict that we are going to get something very big in of course of Oregon between eight or nine uh, by end of this month. It's possible, it's possible. I know they're doing a lot of stuff with harp technology right now and you can actually see it some nights. You'll see it rippling across the sky in a constant steady pulse. So they're, they're using the HARP technology, which is written into the Weather Warfare Treaty of the United Nations from the 1970s. They can create these earthquakes quite simply, uh, very easily today, and uh, anything goes. I think they're going to create all kinds of crisis uh, to rush us through into this brave new world of theirs, where they present us with a whole new world constitution and, and, and have us all agree that we have to bring down our numbers, etc., etc., into this new society. But they'll, they'll give us all kinds of crisis, plagues, real or feigned, uh, threatened, whatever, and food shortages, all the things that you get in war, plague, famine, pestilence, etc., uh, they'll give you. That's traditional. 
Yes, I'm totally agree with you. And HARP is very active right now, 6.8 earthquake off coast of Japan. And we have so many earthquake activities around California all the time. And yeah. Reno uh, also there too. And also in uh, Ontario, uh, near Quebec, we have yeah. had a couple of earthquakes over there too. Yeah. So, and what so you can do too, yeah. you can go into, there's a site there. I'll try and get a hold of it, but, but it does monitor the HARP bursts. And you, you'll see it on the graphs there when these earthquakes occur. You'll always see increased activity, very high, powerful uh, activity happening uh, for 24 hours prior to the earthquake. So, so can you please uh, give us, or we have to go to your home page? And I'll, try, I'll that, try and sir. find it and get it up there for you. Yeah. Okay, uh, sincerely appreciate you, Mr. Allen, and you have a nice weekend, sir. And you too. Bye-bye. Bye now. Now you've got Mark from Wisconsin. Are you there, Mark? Hello, Alan. Hello. Zbigniew new Brzezinski. I'm looking at a I'm looking at a video from YouTube here. It's got uh, the for, actual uh, Carter's old foreign policy uh, advisor, Zbigniew new Brzezinski, saying in front of a Senate panel that it's possible that Bush could actually stage a false flag terror attack. And and mind you, he's saying this right in front of a Senate panel. Mm-hmm. And um, he said he could stage a false flag terror attack in the United States or or Iraq to get the party started over there in Iran. Yes. Now, is that, Alan, do you think that's a split at the top, or, or do you think he's telling his, uh, his buddies to get ready for this? Uh, I don't think it's a split at the top. We know that Brzezinski's been in the advising uh, presidents for most of his life. But uh, I think it's almost a legal declaration of what's to come. But hold on, we'll discuss this after this break. Okay. Hi folks, this is Alan Ward cutting to the Matrix. And we've got a caller on the line, this is Mark from Wisconsin, talking about the possible split or rift between Brzezinski and, and others, the present regime, over uh, how they're going to tackle what's coming up in the near future here. I know that Brzezinski was very against the way they tackled the Middle East. He thought we'd done it in another fashion. It's not so, mo- so much that their, their end goal is different, it's the way that it's done they seem to differ on. That's what I see to, seem to see out of all of this. Yeah. Well, he must have a lot of power to say that in public and not get shot, though, if you know what he I mean. He has. Oh, <laughs> tremendous, tremendous power. I mean, the, the man's ability for, for literally designing a grand chessboard is, is incredible. He's a master at uh, sort of wartime chess, you might say, and how to take countries on long-term and get your way with them. And he did write the Grand Chessboard, and uh, in there he has the whole the whole agenda laid out for the long-term goals of the United States. But, uh, yeah, on the, the way they're dealing with particular issues, he disagrees. He knows they're going to get bogged down in Iraq for an awful long time, maybe 40 years. And that, of course, is what uh, Britain said, too. A minimum of 40 years being bogged down in Iraq to rear a generation from a new schooling system who will become the first um, truly democratic uh, Iraqis. So that's the only point they differ in is how it's done. 
really that's all. Right. The reason I brought it up is so that people can understand, and this this happened about a year ago. People can understand that the media is lying by omission. Uh, a lot of the time, most of the time, I think uh, they they just bring up what they want to bring up, and they omit the you know the really pertinent facts. And if I could, I'd like to read the, uh, the dedication to uh, the big new Brzezinski's book uh, Between Two Ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says human life is reduced to real suffering, to hell, only when two ages, two cultures, and religions overlap. There are times when a whole generation is caught in this way between two ages two modes of life, with the consequence that it loses all power to understand itself and has no standard, no security, no simple acquiescence. And this was written by uh, Herman Hess uh, from Steppenwolf, and I did a little search on him, and it come to find out that he's a Mason, too, a, a Rosicrucian 16th yeah. degree, I believe. And uh, this is just amazing that someone would put this in the book because they are declaring that we're between two ages, mm-hmm. and he's also declaring that we're going to have a hell on earth mm-hmm. um, be- because there's, there's no simple acquiescence of the people. And that's right, and he also said in the same book, <clears throat> in the Tetmetronic era, that part of it, where they were using technotronic technology on the minds of the people to control the public's minds, to keep them quiet and stable as we go through these transitions. Right. I, I just actually cracked the book myself. Okay, do. Thanks a lot. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. I've got Glenn from Philadelphia. Are you there, Glenn? Good evening from Philadelphia. Good evening. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah. I, th- I think that Muzi's just coming in to go off the air. <laughs> Unfortunately. Well, I'll just do a quick commercial and encourage listeners to send in even small donations via PayPal to your site because uh, uh, many thousands of small donations do a great deal to keep you afloat. So just a quick commercial on your behalf. It certainly would. That's true. Thanks for doing that. Well, from Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you.